With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. From the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. The Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. And Magic Johnson is out there celebrating! Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe. From way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron. For three for the win! Yes! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Troy. Yes! It was all over. It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and this week I've got a very special guest. He's a fellow Sports Business Classroom alum. He's a regular on the program and a big-time Lakers fan. His name is Shamir Riaz. Shamir, thanks so much for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me, Garrett. Now, Shamir, you can follow him on Twitter, at ByShamir. That's B-Y-S-H-A-M-E-E-R on Twitter. He's a fun follow. He'll have all your Lakers takes throughout the season. Um, but uh, Shamir, I wanted to, to spend this episode talking about your beloved Lakers, and they are off to a fantastic start at 15-2 and overall. They're currently first in the NBA on the defensive end of the floor, sixth in offensive rating. They've got a positive 8.8 point differential. They've been really good in, uh, in, in clutch situations as well, 7-1 in clutch games. They've also uh, had five comebacks this season from down 10 points at some point during the ball game. Shamir, uh, what have been your uh, general thoughts about how the Lakers have performed so far? Yes, I, I think the biggest thought that I've had, one of the surprising things for me is I knew their defense would be better just because of the amount of veterans they've brought in this season compared to all the young guys they had last year. But I've been surprised just how great they've been defensively. I mean, they've slipped a little bit over the last couple of games, but still they've been at the top of the NBA Of the floor 
is just because of how great Dwight's been off the bench. And so those are some of the surprises just coming into the season for me. Yeah, the, the defense has been absolutely sensational. We'll talk about AD and his potential uh, Defensive Player of the Year candidacy shortly. But yeah, just having so much size out there with uh, with either McGee or Howard out there, a seven-footer, then you've got uh, then you've got Davis, you've got LeBron, and even Danny Green is really big as a two. And then uh, you know, with with Avery Bradley being hurt as of late, they've they've basically been playing Contavious Caldwell Pope at the one. And you know, before the season, everyone was talking about the size that that uh, the Philadelphia 76ers had in their in their starting lineup, but the Lakers lineup uh, as of late has been nearly as large. Yeah, and what's interesting about their kind of rotation that I've really sort of, I think they've kind of been blessed with, is uh, Kyle Kuzma missed the first couple of games just due to injury. I think because of that, it allowed the Lakers to bring him off the bench. And uh, one of my concerns starting the season was, are they going to have to, are they going to have to start Kyle Kuzma just because of his name? And that would have been an awkward fit defensively just because you have a bunch of big guys. And I, I really like how they've been able to bring him off the bench without compromising just on a unit that's really brought their effort defensively. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, he's been able to provide a little bit of scoring punch off the bench, with the, which they, they desperately need, especially when, when LeBron leaves the game. But uh, I wanted to, to break down uh, LBJ's game a little bit with you. And so far on the season, LeBron averaging... 25.6 points per game, a career-high 11 assists, leading the league in assists this season, 7.4 rebounds, his assist percentage at 49.2%. Uh, how have you felt that uh, LeBron has uh, has adjusted to playing with Davis and uh, has, has started in his age 35 season? Yeah, so I think uh, about the first 10 games of the season, the fit was kind of awkward. I think at one point they were like 18th in defensive rating. And the defense is incredible, so they were winning a bunch of games anyways. And I think uh, recently, especially over this last uh, over this four-game road trip that they've been on, Frank Vogel has been encouraging Anthony Davis to take a ton of more threes, so that fits worked a lot better. And he's got his percentage up, too. I think he's shooting around 34% from the three. And it's really particular to LeBron. I think he's been really great. I think that after the first game, there was some talk, like, oh, he seemed like he lost a step. I thought that was a little premature, and I think he's been incredible, especially as a uh, We weren't sure if he was going to be able to handle it at, this, at season 17 at this rate of being the primary ball handler on offense and showing defensive effort, and he's really been able to do both. I mean, he's not prime LeBron defensively by any means, but he's, his scoring numbers are on where they've always been. His assist totals are up, especially if you look at yesterday's game. I think he had two assists in the first half, and this, in the third quarter alone, he had eight assists. He, he like, was just carving up the Spurs defense. And in the fourth quarter, he took over with just about a bunch of step-back threes. So he's been incredible. Uh, I think his effort defensively has been at a level that I honestly wasn't expecting, given the workload he's had offensively. Yeah, it's nice to see. I think LeBron has been, you know, an average to maybe even slightly above average defender this season, and and I think he has picked up his effort level just because I think he knows that 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 is how this team is going to achieve greatness, is going to compete for titles, is being that super dominant defensive group. Uh, but yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the being able to to be the primary initiator. He, you know, they they talked before the season that LeBron was basically going to be their point guard. 
And they have definitely stuck to that. His usage rate this season is at 36.8%, which is the highest of his career. And, and that includes his early Cleveland days. I mean, it's just amazing the workload that he is, uh, he is given on this team. And, and as you stated, still able to give that effort on the defensive end. Um, as far as, you know, some of the things that I've noticed in, in terms of maybe him uh, falling off a little bit, his, his shooting at the rim has dropped. He's, he's shooting this season 64% at the basket, and he's been above 70% in that area for 15 of the last 16 years. So it is a significant drop-off. But fortunately, you know, it, it hasn't damaged the Lakers as much because, again, they're playing with so much size that a lot of those misses near the basket are, uh, are collected by the likes of Howard and Davis and, and put back. Yeah, I noticed that too. His his finishing has definitely been subpar. I think even yesterday he hit, he could have had fifty points if he made some of his layups that he missed. Uh, I don't really, really know what the cause is because he's getting at the rim. One of the things that I noticed and one of the points that they had is his his free throw numbers were down. I think he maybe trying to avoid contact a little too much. But even yesterday, I know the first half he wasn't getting any calls, and so I don't know if that's sort of mentally worrying on him. But I've definitely noticed that his just looks in the room for whatever reason have gone down. Uh, one positive is that he has gotten his three-point percentage up over the last uh, several games, and so that's sort of counteracting any different scoring that you'd see. Yeah, and you know the the fact that he's not finishing quite as well at the rim. Uh, again, is is offset by the offensive rebounding, but it's also offset by the fact that he's still very much a threat. I mean, even though 64% is 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 lower than his career marks, uh, it's still solid. Teams still have to respect him, and he's been able to create open open corner threes for his teammates. And uh, yeah, the the only other issue I, I notice as well is you know again he's spending a lot of time on the perimeter because. Uh, you know, again, he's often playing point guard, and the Lakers are going big. Uh, so yeah, his three point attempts are up, but then also he's having to he's having to drive from the three point line, and that first step he's not quite blowing by defenders as as often and as effectively as he used to. Yeah, actually, as well, I think your point is accurate. He's to create a lot of his looks by himself, so he's driving instead of cutting. Um, hopefully, um, I don't like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Rondo, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about him later, but uh, he has his he has his share of defensive issues. But offensively, I think he's been he's been good for this team in terms of having just another ball handler out there. They they lack uh, you know playmakers on this roster for the most part. Um, but yeah, LeBron has, uh, has really been fantastic and, you know, I'm, I'm being a little bit critical of him, but he's having arguably the greatest, uh, I don't even know if it's arguable at this point. It's, it's probably the greatest age 35 season that we've ever seen. Uh, but, uh, moving on to, to Anthony Davis, you, you briefly mentioned his, uh, his defensive impact so far this year. And, and yeah, it has been absolutely evident that he is, uh, he is dominant, and, and is a key reason why this Lakers group is no, is number one in defensive rating. 
He's in the 90th percentile or higher in block percentage, steal percentage, and foul percentage. So he's able to he's able to uh, you know reject shots. He's able to get his hands in there, cause deflections, and he's able to do that without committing fouls, without sending the opponents to the free throw line. And that is just such a a hard thing to accomplish. Uh, one question I had for you is: Would you say he's a defensive player of the year so far? I I think so. Um, you know I. I, you know, the the thought is that if the Lakers were going to compete for an NBA championship, that he would have to be a defensive player of the year and MVP candidate. I really don't actually see him in the MVP discussion. I don't think his offensive game has been nearly as good, but defensively, he has absolutely been everything they could have asked for. Uh, and yeah, the you know opponents are shooting 6.1% worse at the rim when he's on the floor. Uh, he is doing just a tremendous job and. And again, his length and his athleticism, he's able to get out to the three-point line contest, and then if a, a drive-by happens, his length and uh, his ability to chase down just makes things so difficult. He has been, yeah, just a, a an absolute terror on the defensive end. Yeah, he's been fantastic, and I think, uh, I agree with you that he's, I mean, he's not the most valuable player on this team, I wouldn't even say, it. it's a LeBron, even with the presence that AD brings. Uh, one of the surprising things for me is just that Earlier on the season, he wasn't getting a shot going. His three-point numbers were really down. He was well below 30%. And he's picked that up recently, and the shot's been going down, too. So I think that's that's a really big thing for this team, especially when they have that big in there. Their offense to succeed, he's going to have to attempt more threes. I think Frank Vogel challenged him and said you have to five threes a game. And I, I think if that stays consistent, that their offense will function a lot better. Because having two bigs in the paint is just an awkward fit. Space yeah, the uh, the three point shooting has uh, come and gone for him, but yeah, as of late on there, I believe it's a seven game win streak. There on, he's he's started to shoot the ball better from there. Um, but yeah, offensively, it has been a struggle for him. He's shooting thirty percent in the mid range, and and he's taken forty two percent of his total shots uh, from the mid range, and and yeah, not shooting them effectively. But, you know, he's, he's managed to be, you know, a, a, still a plus offensively through a 40.6% free throw rate. And then he's also shooting a career high 88.2% from the line, which is well above uh, his previous career high. Yeah, he's been fantastic. He had, he had a one camera early in the season against Memphis where he had 20 plus free throw attempts. And that, that was a game we had 40 and 20 and uh, three quarters. He's been a. Uh, He's been fantastic. I think the point you made about his just his mid range, uh, the the amount of distribution that his game comes from mid range is uh, a little troubling, I'd say. But I think that just speaks to having that second big in the paint that that's where he feels most comfortable operating. But yeah, I, I would like to see him make more, take more threes, and get to close to the basket. Yeah, I would. I would almost like to see the Lakers throw in some some sets that those. Uh, those Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, and DeAndre Jordan teams used in in those uh, Clippers, uh, you know, from 2013 through 2017, because it had a similar dynamic where you know LeBron can kind of be the the Chris Paul playing the Chris Paul role, get get Anthony Davis at the free throw line area, rolling to the rim, and then have either Howard or McGee in that dunker spot for lobs. Uh, I think that could be effective, and, and perhaps that's something that they can uh, continue to improve on and develop as the year goes on. Yeah, I agree. 
So yeah, you're you're in agreement too that uh, Davis is is a defensive player of the year favorite uh, so far. Yeah, I wanted to get your perspective on it because he has been the reason they're a top defensive team. But I know people always bring up Rudy Gobert as other guy who's trying to defense for the year. Pascal Siakam, Giannis. So I just wanted to get your perspective on where he rates in regard to them. I think one of the other just factors in play, he's missed the last several games due to injury. But when the Lakers were operating at their peak defensively, really the, the, the key behind it was, in my opinion, the ball handling, the defense on ball by Amy Bradley. Like, he was really, he passes full court. He's been a factor that I didn't quite expect him to be. Yes, he uh, you know he brings a kind of a different dynamic, and we'll talk about the the battle for that uh, that essentially the point guard spot between Bradley and KCP a little bit later. But yeah, they they bring different things to the table, and yeah, that ball pressure of Bradley is is so impressive, and yeah, he looks to be um, you know playing at a a higher level than he has the last couple of seasons. Uh, what are your thoughts in terms of, you know, Davis? I've noticed uh, in several games him clutching his right shoulder at times. I think he's even mentioned that uh, it's a situation that'll, that won't go away. It's just a pain management thing. But how concerned are you about that right shoulder issue with Davis? Yeah, so I actually think that's sort of been the root behind this early season shooting struggles. I, I'm not sure just how much of a real injury versus you have to play through the pains sort of thing. I mean, yeah, I, I did see that quote where he said it's going to be a thing, but he's going to try to play through it. He, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how much it's affecting him other than maybe his deep shot because his defensive presence has been still stellar. He's been blocking shots with I mean, both arms, you know. So I, I'm not sure exactly what, how much of a pain tolerance thing it is. He did miss that one, uh, the second half of a back-to-back against the Warriors, which made sense because I think the, the night before against Phoenix, he also hurt his ribs. But I think it's just going to be a pain tolerance thing. I think he's sort of adjusted to it, too. Uh, I know you mentioned him. The past several games, he's gotten a 3.4% jump, and so hopefully that's sort of behind him. But yeah, he constantly clutches at the shoulder. I think he it's sore, he re-aggravates it throughout the course of games. Yeah, I think it's from what I've noticed. It, it seems to be a lot of times when he's when he's blocking shots with that right hand, and there's a force applied to to keep the ball from going towards the hoop. Uh, he had a play in that uh, game against the Grizzlies where he blocked a a, a Jaron Jackson fadeaway, and uh, yeah, grimaced right afterwards. But uh, yeah, that'll be something to keep uh, keep an eye on because yeah, he's had a tendency throughout his career to miss you know five to ten games here or week here and week there. So uh, it, it'll be important. And again, I think the the Lakers have gotten off to a good enough start that if they need to rest him a little bit, I think they can. But yeah, that'll certainly be something to uh, to keep an eye out on. So another uh, another big addition for this uh, this Los Angeles group was that of uh, Danny Green. And so far, Green this season shooting 41% from three, 42% from the corners, and 40% from above the, the break. And, uh, you know, playing his typical great defense, uh, I imagine you've uh, really enjoyed watching Danny Green on this team. Yeah, Danny Green's been fantastic. One of the interesting things to me about Danny Green's game this year is I actually think he's been quite quiet in terms of we, he always brings that consistency. He's been great defensively. He's been hitting a shot. But he actually has been playing a lot less minutes than I thought he would be. I thought he'd be closer to 30 minutes. He's only averaging about 26 minutes a game. 
early in the season, a lot of that was due to he would get in the foul literally every game. And he'd pick up two fouls right away and he'd just be up the entire first quarter. Um, so that, that, that was a big part of why I think he wasn't playing as much. But even recently, uh, Danny, I mean, I, I've been kind of surprised. That's, that's one of the... Uh, I've actually been a fan of a lot of Frank Vogel's rotation moves. I think he's done a, a, a lot better job than Luke Walton did in the previous year. But I have been surprised to see that Danny Green has been playing such a few minutes. Yeah, and, and that's been something that's uh, that's been a, a common thread throughout his career. You know, he played uh, he played less than 30 minutes in San Antonio, although I think Greg Popovich plays basically every player less than 30 minutes. But, you know, even in Toronto, he, he was a, a, a huge plus-minus uh, positive and, and still played less than 30 minutes. And, and this season, he's continued to be that plus-minus darling. He the, the Lakers are 10.2 points better with Green on the floor. They score... 6.8 points more per 100 possessions on the offensive end, and they allow 3.5 less per 100 possessions on defense. So he's continued to be a positive force, and and I'm right there with you, a little bit confused as to as to why he uh, he doesn't get a few more minutes out there every night. Yeah, for sure. And he's been really good. I mean, he even hit that the game tying shot against Dallas. That was really incredible. LeBron threw a low pass. He still was able to get it and hit it. That, I think that was one of the, that's been one of the highlights of their season. He's been fantastic. I mean, he's been, uh, one of the things that, that people are concerned about is he shot a really high percentage from three last year in Toronto, but the years previously in San Antonio, his shooting numbers have been down, but this year he's picked up sort of where we left off last year in that regard. Yeah, that uh, that game against Dallas has got to be one of the games of the year so far, uh, and and it had that uh, special statistic. I I forget exactly. I think it was something to the effect of uh, LeBron and Doncic both with triple double, thirty points and fifteen assists. That might have been the first time in NBA history that uh, the two opponents had done that. Um, but uh, yeah, and then LeBron recently uh, with his uh, his triple double against the Oklahoma City Thunder became the first player in NBA history to uh, have triple-doubles against all 30 NBA teams. Yeah, I was, I was surprised about that stat, because if I'm not mistaken, I think he had a triple-double against them in the finals, which obviously doesn't count towards that uh, calculation of that stat. But that, that was, I, was, I was kind of confused. Like, I'm pretty sure he's had a, a bigger triple-double than this against the Thunder. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you'd think that should, call, that should count even extra, given the, the stakes of... Uh, of the the NBA Finals, but uh, and then they were uh, they were also mentioning on the broadcast that Russell Westbrook the reason he hasn't done it against all thirty is because he's played with the Thunder his entire career until this season, so uh, I'm guessing he'll uh, he'll tie LeBron and become the second player to do that as soon as the Rockets uh, take on the Thunder later this season. But uh, I wanted to uh, get your take. You mentioned briefly how how good the the McGee Dwight Howard combination has been so far this year. And uh, I, I combined their uh, counting stats, and, and they're pretty impressive. The two of them are averaging, uh, in a little over 36 minutes per game, 13.7 points, 13.1 rebounds, 2.7 blocks, and uh, over 65% combined shooting, and a Dwight Howard himself shooting at 75%. So, yeah, they're getting uh, pretty great production from, uh, from the center spot. Yeah, I... I didn't mention it earlier. I've been surprised by Dwight Howard. I think Dwight Howard has sort of reached that stage of kind of like that Carmelo Anthony range for me, where I was like, you just don't want him on your team, right? Because it's like, you don't know what you're going to 
get from him physically because he's been injured. Last year, he missed most of the season. And then on top of that, it's sort of a locker room antics. So I think beneficially for Dwight Howard, along with how good he's played, is that they've gotten after a great start. So some of the annoying things and jokes and whatever that's you know irritated teammates in the past, it hasn't really gotten to the team because they've only lost twice. I think that that's something that really affects a team when you're losing. It's like, oh, this is just annoying guy in the locker room. So he's been great in that regard, just been fitting in. Teammates have embraced him. One of the things that's kind of interesting for me is that JaVale's been starting, but... Dwight's been playing over five minutes more per game. So I think JaVale plays the least out of anyone in that rotation, the ten-man rotation. So that's been sort of interesting for me. They've both been great. I, I, I like what JaVale's brought as that sort of guy in the diamond spot where you could lock to. Dwight's been great on the offensive boards. And, and it's, I, I'm the only, my only uh, sort of thing that I want to avoid jumping to, you know, like satisfaction with this is just that you have the one way to to see if this effort from Dwight is going to continue, and two, just to see if Dwight stays healthy. Right, yeah, he's, uh, yeah, surprisingly so far has looked pretty nimble on the defensive end, again, averaging uh, right around 1.5 blocks per game, and as you said, has has basically been the number one center on this roster, even though he's not He's not starting, and that's especially surprising the kind of production they've gotten, uh, you know, after the, the, uh, the news of uh, you know Demarcus Cousins in the offseason, who I think was projected to be the starter, you know tearing his ACL. So the fact they've still got this kind of uh, production is has been a a major positive. But uh, I, I wanted to get back. I, I briefly referenced this earlier, but I wanted to get back to the debate on you know Avery Bradley and KCP. Bradley has uh, you know is is injured at the moment, so he's missed the last five or six games, and, and KCP has stepped in and played extremely well. KCP this season shooting forty three point eight percent from three, and and just from following you on Twitter, uh, I know you have kind of a love or hate relationship with uh, with Contavious. Yeah, it's mostly a hate relationship. <laughs> When I signed in this offseason, I was really annoyed just because he's, he last year was a shooter who couldn't shoot. Uh, he, he honestly, another thing that I didn't like is he's a good defender. He's a good on-ball defender. One of the things I didn't like was just how weak he is. So even in yesterday's game uh, against the Spurs, there were a few possessions in the third and fourth quarter where Demar Rose was bullied and got to the basket just because he's not the bulkiest guy. But, I mean, honestly, he's been really great. The, the first 10 games of the season, he was, like, really, really awful. He could not make a shot. But then, he, it sort of all turned for him. He's part of his three-point percentage. He's leading the team right now in three-point percentage. He's shooting 44%. Not as many attempts, only three. And in reference to your, you know, you were sort of mentioning the debate between Avery Bradley and uh, KCP starting. So, KCP is good on the offense, and when he does contribute defensively is probably better just with any five-man unit than Avery Bradley. But Avery Bradley's defense has been incredible. I think even if they've actually slipped slightly on defense since he's been gone, I think that's largely due to point guard just getting to the basket and putting more pressure on their second-line defenders. I think the one thing that's really annoying about Avery Bradley's game is just his shot selection. He takes a lot of mid-range jump shots that are out of the flow of the offense. I think the one, one of the examples of this was just he had a wide open mid range jump shot that he missed against the Mavs at the end of regulation earlier in the season. And that's sort of the shot that he takes and it's hit or miss. He's actually been pretty good on that shot, but 
I just like to see him take more three pointers, and uh, I haven't really loved the shot selection or really just his overall fit offensively. That's so that's it is an intriguing debate. I would still have him defensively just because I like the pressure that he puts on ball handlers, but his fit on the offense is a little uh, confusing. Yeah, Bradley shooting 28.6% from three on the season, and as you said, has that love for, for the mid-range. Uh, and yeah, the, the defensive thing is, is, is very interesting. I think maybe, um, you know, you mentioned the, the Lakers have slipped a bit on defense since Bradley went down. I think that could be just as uh, much on the fact that Rajon Rondo is now getting minutes as it is that Avery Bradley is not playing. But, uh, but, but yeah, the... The, the difference with KCP, you know, at, at 6'5", even though you referenced, uh, you know, he, he can occasionally get bullied, he is a little bit more switchable and, and being able to guard multiple positions, and that seems to be the, the one weakness in, in Bradley's game, despite the great ball pressure. He he is quite short. Yeah, and I guess that is where the issue sort of stems. I, I, I'm, you mentioned Richard Rondo getting minutes. I think he is doesn't show any effort defensively, especially this year. There's been plays where he'll be just like, you know, it won't even be a tough close. He'll be four or five feet away from the from the offensive player shooting a three, and he will not show any effort to close out to him. And, and that's sort of the difference, I think, between Avery Bradley and Ray Rondo, where Ray Rondo gives you great uh, ball handling and really relieves the pressure to play make for LeBron offensively. But one of the problems that I see is just that he defensively yeah there was a play in the uh in the memphis game that i that i uh, noticed where rondo was guarding kyle anderson on the perimeter and obviously anderson not the greatest shooter he's got a very slow release and they set a screen for anderson and, and rondo could have just easily gone under the screen but he makes no effort to get under and then just switches on to brandon clark Clark rolls to the rim and gets an easy lob without any contest from Rondo, and Rondo just falls over. It's there are plays like that constantly where Rondo just, uh, you know, he'll uh, even just the, a mediocre screen set on him just takes him completely out of the play. He'll make like a half-hearted uh, flail at the ball to try to steal it from behind, but uh, most of the time that uh, is unsuccessful. Yeah, and one of the interesting things for me is that. I've been sort of surprised to see that he's been, it's only on three attempts, but he's sort of hit his three. Uh, one of the things that's, I, I think that mitigates that number for me is that all of those three point attempts have been off, off, uh, off a dribble. But, so, I mean, I don't think many of them have been a variety of catcher shoots, but he has been shooting a, a respectable percent, a really good percentage for him for uh, from the three point line, and that'll help if he can even keep that up at some level. I mean, he's not going to stay at 44% for the entire season, but that helps. Yeah, the the three-point shooting on this roster has been a bit puzzling. You know, I I mentioned Danny Green and and KCP shooting the ball well, but, you know, Kuzma, for all the talk about his reworked three-point shot, he's shooting just 32.3%. Um, and, and you mentioned, though, he, he was injured to start the season, so, you know, he, he could pick up on that. But, you know, guys like uh, Alex Caruso shooting under 30%, Quinn Cook and, and Troy Daniels, two guys that I think were brought in primarily because they were known as good three-point shooters, Cook shooting just 32.1%, Troy Daniels at 32.7%, uh, and, and Jared Dudley, another guy that I thought, before the season, hey, maybe this guy could come in there and uh, and and play some small ball five and, and knock down some shots. But 
this is a funny stat. Jared Dudley, in 58 minutes, the Lakers are 36.8 points per 100 possessions worse with him on the floor. So uh, he has not been good when he's been out there. Uh, so, yeah, my question to you is, does this team have enough shooting, and do they have to make a move to, to add somebody? Or, or is the hope that uh, some of these guys just pick it up a little bit? I think eventually they're going to have to add another guy, especially when you look at it. So I think one of the reasons I'm a little pessimistic in their start is just the, the ease of competition they've had. So they haven't really needed that much of blue scoring besides Anthony Davis and LeBron, and you have Kuzma in there to provide a little bit of scoring, just operating from their own offense without doing it from someone else. That, that's why I think when you look at a team like the Clippers, I, I still believe that they're favored just because they have a guy like Lou Williams. And create up the bench when Paul George and Quaid just release some scoring pressure for them. The Lakers don't really have that, especially from the perimeter getting a ball handed where a guy can create his own shot. Or even create a shot for others. Like one of the things we've mentioned throughout this podcast is just how John Rondo has been good at relieving the pressure from LeBron in terms of distributing the ball. But his defense has been so terrible. So even if they could potentially get a guy like Andre Godala in the buyout market, just a guy who can create for others. Even if a shot isn't that great, that is something that that they should look to. And we'll see what Memphis does with whether they are insistent on trading him or if they buy him out or not. But that is sort of the weakness I see in this team where they don't have that third guy that the Clippers are sort of blessed with. Williams really charitable contract, but yeah, that is an area where I think they can they can improve. Try to look at the league, maybe trade for someone. Yeah, you can tell the Lakers are starving for for playmaking because they they they've run uh, an action for both KCP and Bradley where they start in the left corner and uh, they start running towards the top of the key and and uh, get like a down screen and then get a dribble handoff from the center and get the get KCP or Bradley going right to either throw the lob to the center rolling to the rim or take a, a mid range jumper. And as you mentioned, Bradley loves that shot, but he's not particularly great at it. Uh, but yeah, the fact that, that you know I've I've seen that action run, ran multiple times in basically every game I've watched of them is is not a great sign. But uh, I, I wanted to get your take on uh, I, I talked last week with uh, with Stephen Lowe on the Toronto Raptors, and and we broke down Nick Nurse's challenges and and his. Uh, horrible success rate it seems like throughout the league the coaches have have not done too great of a job what have been your thoughts on uh, Frank Vogel and his not only his uh, success rate but then also the uh, the decisions of of when to use those coaches challenges yeah I believe he's won one of those challenges if I'm not mistaken he had one challenge early in the season I'm sure you caught this one it was the first game of the season against the Clippers where he challenged something and it was a weird implementation of the rule where he the call got overturned but he lost the challenge I'm not sure if you remember that one I do yes um yeah the the they they call yeah they called it a failed challenge yet the fact the Lakers benefited from it which was yeah it was an odd thing because if uh if you're gaining a possession or you're gaining points or or whatever or you're subtracting points from the other team to me that's a victory that's a successful challenge yeah, I was kind of confused about that. He, I think recently especially, he's gotten to the point where he's just not challenging things anymore. I think there was a play, I think, in the Memphis game that you might have seen. That there was a, some defensive, I think it might have been a foul. Or a block. No, I think it was a, maybe who went off on him. 
was a it was a debate whether or not it was off on Dwight Howard or it was a foul on Dwight, something that sort. And he just directly begged him to call a shower, and he was like, I'm not going to do it. So I think they started that, where it's like, I'm not going to make the effort to even do it unless it's late in the game or like we're desperate. So I think that's sort of what the implementation of how coaches' strategy is and trying to use that challenge feature. Yeah, it's really weird, you know, watching that. Uh, they, they played a home-and-home home against the Thunder here in this past week, and in the second game in Oklahoma City, there was a, uh, there was a, a play where Billy Donovan got a technical because he was arguing the call, and it was a play where Daniil Gallinari drove left and, and went up for a shot and made the shot and was called for an offensive foul. And watching the replay, he did nothing wrong. It was a terrible call. And again, Donovan... You know, he, the one where he, uh, he, I think they said he cleared out his own. Yeah, and he clearly yeah. didn't looking at the replay. And, I think he tried clearing out his own, but he didn't actually hit anyone. Yeah, um, and and yeah, Donovan gets a tech instead of just challenging it. He had his coach's challenge. It's like, instead of getting angry and, and causing your team another point off the board by, by giving up a technical free throw, just challenge the play. And the thing was, Gallinari made the bucket too. So, you know, you're, you're potentially saving your team three points by just challenging it instead of just getting angry and yelling at the officials when... I think that was the point of the coach's challenge is the idea that if there is a call that you really think is wrong, you have some power now. Did you remember if that call was in the first half or the second half? I believe it was first half. So here's, I think, one of the things they're going to have to change about the rule, and it's not going to be a popular, I think, idea, but they have to give them a challenge in the first half and a challenge in the second half. Because I think when you limit it to just one per game, people are not going to challenge anything until the very end of the game. And I think while those calls are more publicized than other calls throughout the game, those situations happen less often. And as a result, people are going to just use challenges less. Because you know, the, a close call at the end of the game that really shifts it, it seems like it happens more than it does just because of you know, the magnitude of the calls. But I do think you're going to have to add another challenge in the first half just so... This one makes sense to me. I don't know. Yeah, it seems like coaches value challenges in the same way they value like uh, when when players get in foul trouble, sitting them out to make sure that their players are there in the last couple of minutes. When in reality, you know, losing your superstar for four minutes in the second quarter is just as uh, as damaging as losing him for four minutes at the end of the game. And to me, it's the same exact concept. You know, if there's a call in the second quarter that can help your team gain uh, a couple of points, that's just as important as gaining a couple of points with, with a minute to go. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought the point about the foul thing. That's one thing that's really started to annoy me about just coaches in general. I think Frank Vogel's sort of done this a couple of times, or consistent in the season. It's just that, okay, our one player gets two fouls, so just, well, let me just mess up my entire rotation just because this role player got two fouls. I think coaches should have a longer leash with just letting guys ride out. If he gets three fouls in a quarter, that's just, you're getting unlucky. You know, you know, you know what I mean? So I think coaches need to have a longer leash with that, and that's a whole another tangent, but yeah, I agree with you. Yes, especially, as you mentioned, like a, a bench guy that is only going to be playing 15 to 20 minutes anyway. Yeah, who cares if he's got three fouls in the first half? He's probably not going to play enough minutes to... You might notice that that happened to Dwight Howard yesterday where he was in a lot of fouls, but it's like he plays 20 minutes a game and you have Javel to beat to. So it's just like, why are you taking him out of the game if he's playing well and it's costing your team those valuable minutes? Uh, yeah, I, I never understood that. 
Yeah, so I wanted to get your take on, uh, you know, once everybody uh, once everybody on this roster is healthy, what do you think are, like, the optimal five-man lineups or a couple of the best five-man lineups for this Lakers team, you know, uh, in crunch time? Yeah, so one of the lineups that's been interesting, I don't know how much I love it, but one of the lineups that they've used is they've had uh, some combination of Caruso and Ron, I'm not, I'm not sure how successful those lineups have been, but it, it was interesting when they had about three or four guards in. I think in terms of a, the optimal lineup, I think especially to close, they have Anthony Davis in the five, even though they had success with Dwight and Jamil. Even, even those two guys haven't been playing a big chunk of minutes, they've sort of been spending time at that center spot. So I think you put Anthony Davis in the five, you have uh, Danny Green at the two, you have... I think maybe even in the crunch time you'd have KCP, especially for the that spacing, and then you put Guzman for the forward scoring option. I, I hope that's what they go with it. My biggest worry is that as the season progresses, they might have, and they've already been doing it a little bit, which is why it's worrying to me is that they'll have Rondo in instead of one of that one of those shooters, whether it's Danny Green, KCP, and that sort of bothers me. Yeah, I agree. They they should surround LeBron and Anthony Davis with as much three-point shooting as possible. And, and the problem with Rondo is not only does he not provide spacing on offense, but he's such a terrible defender as well. Uh, but one thing about uh, the a move in a game earlier this year when they played the Utah Jazz, I, I was impressed with Vogel's maneuver uh, to start the game. You know, they played the traditional center, and Rudy Gobert was able to just clog up the paint and, and do his thing on defense. Uh, again, you know, guarding McGee or Howard, but then to start the second half of that game, Vogel took out McGee and put Davis at the five, and it was really the first glimpse we got to see of of heavy minutes with with AD at the five and LeBron at the four. And then when they ran pick and rolls with LeBron and Anthony Davis with Gobert covering Davis, you know, the Jazz don't like to switch that, and the Lakers really were able to get whatever they wanted. Yeah, and that's that's an some of a lot more of what we'll see in the playoffs. I think even Anthony Davis has talked about that where he's reluctant to play the five spot in the regular season just because of the wear and tear that it places on his body. But even he's acknowledged that in the playoffs when they need when they need to win and when they need to get, you know, valuable possessions offensively, he will be playing that five spot. Well that's what interesting to me is that he hasn't been playing the five spot much this year, but it to this point has not bothered him because Javel and Dwight have just been Outstanding, but I, I, I do think when they reach their peak offensively, it's just going to be with Davis the five. And you, you acknowledge when they made that switch the second half that you know Gobert was really having his way in the first half, and they they put Davis in the five. I've really been impressed. I'm most of Frank Vogel's decision I've been a fan of this year. I've really been impressed by how he's utilized his rotations. Yeah, and you know he's he's mostly known for being a, a defensive coach and. And obviously, the some of the additions they made this offseason, you know, adding to the defensive personnel, we we both think that AD is the so far the defensive player of the year. But yeah, obviously, Danny Green and Avery Bradley, those guys are just really good defensive players. But you know, Vogel's got to be given some of this this credit as well for how good this uh, this team has been on on the defensive end. So Shamir. Uh, We've been talking a lot of Lakers. I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts now. I know this is still pretty early on in the season, but are uh, are you pretty confident in the Lakers' title chances? Have, have what you've seen from the first 17 games, has that uh, made you feel a little bit more confident about their chances of uh, of winning it all? It's definitely made me more confident. I think 
we've seen just you know, in the West is a lot, a lot of the traditional teams, the Spurs, the uh, Blazers, the Warriors, they've either fallen within the injuries or just defensive woes and just playing poorly, especially as it relates to the Spurs and the Blazers. Where these teams we thought were virtual locks for the playoffs uh, or aren't going to be. And I one of the, not consensus, but I, I'd say one of the general feelings around this Lakers team is that maybe they'd be more of a middling playoff team, like a 4 or 5 six seed. So this makes me more uh, comfortable with the idea that they, that they will get a top 3 four seed in the home court band, at least the first round of the playoffs. The one thing that still concerns me, is, and I, I think we'll learn a lot about the Lakers in the next month as their schedule gets a lot tougher, there are a lot of road games that's good Western Conference playoff teams. I think that's when we'll learn a lot about whether they are short title contenders. I think right now I think they're gonna go to Western Conference Finals. But honestly I'd still think the Clippers over them. I think the Clippers have had one of the toughest schedules in, in the league and they've still played pretty well without Paul George and quite quiet Paul George both missing a ton of games and not really playing all that, that much together. I'm excited to see their game tonight against the Mavericks actually. But I would still pick the Clippers to win it all. Uh, but uh, let's see if the Lakers can keep it up against different competition and maybe they add another uh, score that can create for himself. That'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I uh, I'm I'm in total agreement with you. I uh, my preseason pick was the Clippers, and I still still believe that. Even though, yeah, I'm a, I'm a little more optimistic about the Lakers' chances. And and the thing with the Clippers that is such a tough matchup. Uh, in, as far as the Lakers are concerned, is you know they've got in the likes of Paul George, in Kawhi Leonard, in Lou Williams, guys that can can really dominate in that pull up, you know, jumper area where when the Lakers are playing that traditional center and playing that conservative drop back scheme, the Clippers just have the the personnel that can really attack that and attack that efficiently, where most teams just don't have that uh, have that ability to really take advantage of that too much. Yeah, I think one of the things I see with the Clippers is that I, the concern I had before the season started and sort of a similar concern that I have now is just Kawhi Leonard's health. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure for what your thoughts are, but I, thought he, I, I don't think he looked as great as he did last year, especially in the defensive end. I think part of that is because of injury. He missed several games besides the load management, besides the load management just because he was actually injured to get it. So I've a knee contusion. And... It'll be interesting to see if he's operating at full strength and what that entails. You know, what if he's not if he's not there that changes everything? Then I do have a league favorite. So, but that sort of thing. Other than injury, I don't see anything with the Clippers that really. I mean, their, their, their rotation's fantastic. They have so much depth, especially when Shannon comes back from injury. There's not much flaw I see with this rotation, and that's sort of why I, I can't pick against them. Yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be fascinating, and yeah, the 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 uh, Los Angeles hopefully will will finally get like a, a legitimate rivalry between these two teams. They uh, they seem to be as of now the the two best teams in uh, in the Western Conference. So Shamir, was there anything else about the Lakers uh, you wanted to discuss before we uh, we wrap up? Well, I think that covers pretty much everything for me. I mean, I really like Alex Cruz. I think is a much bigger. Part of the rotation than I was expecting, but I've actually really appreciated it because that means they're not force feeding Quinn Cook and Rajon Rondo minutes. Yeah, I mean Caruso is is really darn good defensively. He's uh, he's an intelligent player. He's in the right spots. He he works hard. 
the issue for me is just that lack of jump shot. He really does hurt them on the offensive end. I think uh, I was looking up uh, cleaning the glass stats earlier, and I think they're they're uh, they're like five plus points better defensively when he's out there, but uh, five plus points worse uh, on the offensive end. So he kind of just uh, accentuates their their strengths even more. But uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see you know what uh, what sort of guys in the periphery of this rotation are are gonna end up solidifying and uh, solidifying their roles and, and getting consistent minutes as the year goes on. But uh, Shamir, this was uh, this was a, a lot of fun. Good catching up with you, and, and thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to Duncan Dynasty. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, you can uh, you can subscribe to the program on iTunes. If you can leave a, uh, a rating and review, that would be greatly appreciated as well. Uh, the show is also now on Spotify. Uh, if you can uh, give the show a follow, again, a rating on there, uh, that uh, that really helps a lot. If uh, if you've got any uh, questions or comments or uh, or ideas for uh, for future episodes, uh, you can contact me. Uh, on Twitter at Garrett Bouguet, and also uh, my email is g bouguet at onu.edu. So uh, feel free to uh, to uh, give me any of your uh, ideas. I, I love to hear from uh, from the people listening to the program. And uh, enjoy the next week of the NBA calendar, and uh, have a great rest of your day. Leftovers or. The DMV, number 97, or house cleaning, or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. We're prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details.